The funny thing about networking is that you really don't need to be connected to everybody in the world. You just need to be connected to Frank Agan. This is my conversation with Frank Agan. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. I'm here with Frank Agan, president of Amp Spirit Business Connections. He's also the host of Networking RX, the podcast, and then he believes in love, love over hate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're going to get into all of it today. Frank, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Well, uh, thanks for having me. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to this. So tell me about Amp Spirit Business Connections and why business connections are so important. Yeah, let me, I guess I'll, I'll give you my the nickel tour of me. I, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and it's neither here nor there, but I came here to go to law school. Never intended on staying. This was back in 1984. I got a law degree, got an MBA, went off to, involves a woman, stayed, stayed in town, got a job <laughs> in public accounting as a tax consultant. And it was a good job. It was great pay. It was great everything. Beautiful glass building, you know, everything you would aspire to. I just didn't want to do taxes for the rest of my life. And most people can, most people can, most okay, people I can, can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. And so I left to go into private practice and a funny thing happened when I went into private practice. And I tell people the funny thing was that nothing happened. I had no idea how to get clients because when you're in an higher education, they talk about networking, they kind of give lip service yeah. to it, but they really don't understand it. And when you work in a big firm, they don't really teach you that. They just they just come out in to do the work. Don't worry about getting clients. That save that for another day. So I struggled. Well, business business is a struggle in and of itself. But I was deathly afraid for several weeks. And I had lunch one day with a friend of mine who was an attorney, and she took a different path out of law school. She started her own firm, and I just asked her. I said, "What do I need to do to be successful?" I don't yeah. want to go begging for my job back. You know, you know, the thoughts of being, you know, 20 something years old or 30 something early thirties and being stuck in a, in a soulless career in my mind. And she said, you need to get into a tips club or a leads group. And many people out there are familiar with like BNI. And uh, so at any rate, I've been, I know I've been in tipsy clubs. Okay. Tipsy I've clubs. been in tipsy clubs before. And okay. the networking is, the networking is good, but the next day it hurts. Oh, there you go. At any rate, I got invited to a group that was, it was based out of Pittsburgh and they were starting groups here in Columbus. And as it was explained to me, it made total sense. You could lift up your whole world by helping other people be successful and just trusting that it'll come back to you. And I really doubled down on that because that, you know, Hirsch, that makes sense. It's just, it's, it's who we are as humans. I can, talk about you all day long and how great you are and your podcast and everything so professional and feel good about myself. But if I self-promote for five minutes, I need a nap, right? I mean, oh, it yeah. takes so much energy. So I really doubled down on that experience and became that chapter's first president, got on a national advisory board with the organization, became its first franchisee, and then bought it out in the early 2000s and stopped the practice of law. And that really switched 
my trajectory from being this attorney to being this person who was very right brain, very focused on, I, I say professional relationships, but relationships are relationships. I mean, God gave us one brain and there's not a special compartment for business relationships. It's all relationships and really have become a student of relationships and why, why things work and why they don't, what makes us tick and what, you know, makes us not. And, you know, that's where, you know, meeting hate or fear with love really kind of comes from. And so we need to, you know, we need to have these connections We're you know, we're doing nothing alone. Anybody out there says they, Hey, I did it all on my own. You're, you're lying. You're standing on somebody's shoulders. Somebody's lifting you up. And, you know, so to your question, you know, why are these things important? Because it's, because it's everything. It, yeah, it really is. Well, uh, I, I can totally relate to the, the idea of self-promotion being agonizing. I, my whole career has, my career has involved PR. It's involved brand storytelling. It's always about making somebody look good. And usually to your other point about there's no difference between friendships, business relationships. There really isn't. You would not want to be promoting people you don't like or respect or love. Right. So my, my goal has always been to seek out people that I, that I really admire and make them look better and make them look great. But then when it comes to, you know, the first thing I always say to them is third-party validation is so important. It's so important to have third-party validation. Well, what about what about me? You know, that we get testimonials, which feel great and are helpful, but just lead generation, go, going the hard sell, going in to sell something to somebody. And, that, and there are people who, who get that selling is good and important. And there yeah. are people like me who feel like selling is a bad thing. I don't really, but I mean, that's some kind of default. I remember being a kid and an insurance insurance salesman, I think it was. Yeah, an insurance salesman came over and back back in the day, they would do home yeah. meetings and they would talk to your parents and they'd sit down and have coffee. And I remember my parents having this really polite conversation. And and after he left, I, I said something that was very uncharacteristic of, of me even being a smart ass. And I said, what did that idiot want? And, <laughs> and my parents were like, that's heshy. That's a terrible thing to say. And, and I was like, I just had in my mind that the idea of this guy in a suit coming and wanting money ultimately was a bad thing. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, it was wrong of me. I don't lose sleep over it, but it was, you know, what is that? You don't want to be that idiot, right? You don't no. want to be that idiot selling, selling something. So, so continue your story. So what, what happened next? Well, I, I took over this business and I have really been focused on growing it and trying to help business people out there. You know, the whole, you know, the sales thing, I get it. The problem with sales is this, is that there are people out there who are trying to convince others that they need things that they might not need. That's kind of the messy, the dirty part yeah. of selling, right? Yeah. But what the way I look at networking is this, is that you do, you do a good enough job. You build relationships with people around you who really understand what you're about. So let's say you're the insurance salesperson and you really do a good job getting others to understand these are the situations where I could really swing into action and help somebody. You know, if, if you know of a young family out there, I've got kids, I can really help them protect 
the family unit with life insurance in case something happens. And that, you know, right. nobody wants to sell life. Well, I shouldn't say nobody wants to sell life insurance, but that's a hard sell. But if somebody like your father says to the person who knows the life insurance person, yeah, you know what? I got this great family and I don't plan on going anywhere, but boy, I want to make sure they're okay. And I just really need to find somebody who can help me with this life insurance thing. And they will say, oh, you know what? I've got this perfect person I'd like to introduce you to. And then that person's coming over to your house and your family's like, welcome, come on in. We want to talk to you. Now, that's not a guarantee that they're going to do business with them. Maybe the price isn't right or whatever it might be, but at least that insurance agent is stepping into something where he's not how he or she is not having to climb this uphill battle of trying to convince you on life insurance. Yeah. The introduction, the, yeah. the icebreaker, the icebreaker like that, that's really a, a, a major thing. It's one thing if there's a need. If you know there's a need, yeah. having to ask if there is a need is the scariest and also the most awkward part. Yes. And and I think one of one of the things that you're able to do is to have people maybe overcome the the fear of of the network of the of the connections because it can be so helpful because it's yeah. it's an icebreaker to say. Oh, so and so told me. So and so told me that you that you might be in the market for for something like this. I, I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn with things that are totally not totally in a. I wouldn't say inappropriate because that suggests like they're, right. they're making it you know something that's untoward. <laughs> you know, yeah. but but not relevant to me at all. Yeah, and it's awkward even backing out of that thing. Yes. Yes. You know, and you don't ever want to, at that point, you don't ever want to really connect with that person again, because you're like, oh God, that was just weird. Well, you most know? of those people are using bots anyway. So they're not, they're, they're you mean, know. There's no real actual feelings to be heard. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you're almost better just to ignore it. You know, if you ignore it, then they don't really know. As soon as then you reject it, then they're like, oh, what's wrong with him? Yeah. It's like kicking C3PO in the balls. Who gets hurt? Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's exactly. you. It's your foot. Yeah. He doesn't yeah, feel exactly. a thing. Yeah. But, you know, with the whole networking thing and, and someone hit me with this the other day, there's 7 billion people on the planet. That's a big number, you know, and there's enough people out there willing to, who have a need for what you have. Mm -hmm. It's just connecting through the people, you know, to find your share of those people. And, and that's the problem with the people out there kind of doing that hardcore sale, making people uncomfortable is they're, they're trying to force that. They're trying to, and and that's where it, that's where it gets really odd. Well, desperation never works. No, it never it never works to say, "Hey, I really need this sale." Right. We don't even really say that to our friends. We might say it to our closest, closest, closest friends and say, "Look, man, you got to do me a solid" or something like that. But even there, I think we're protective of that idea that we need something yes and we prefer that the that the customer be the one who needs something which makes sense if the yes. customer does need it then it doesn't matter how bad we need it because that's yeah. not relevant and that's the ideal situation well i think what happens is a lot of salespeople do one of two things maybe both one 
they put themselves in a financial predicament that they just need to get on that treadmill and run every day, right? I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell. And, you know, when I'm talking to young entrepreneurs, I'm like, you know, you got to be careful with your money because you know, you know, nobody's going to do business with you because you got a car payment to make, right? Nobody cares. Right. Maybe grandma does, but beyond that, you only have two grandmas. So, you know, no, nobody really cares. But the other thing is, is that they head into it and they really haven't done a good job of kind of building a network before they head into it. You know, they just, they're starting, they're starting totally cold. Financial advisors, for example, they start totally cold. Hey, just go through your warm market and call friends and family. Well, that's the worst place to start. If I'm, you know, if, if I'm doing that, I don't want to be yeah. bothering them. You know, it's, it's, it's okay that I'm walking down the street and you decide you want to go on the other side of the street to not make eye contact with me. But when it's, you know, when it's uncle Bob and aunt Sally that avoid you at church because, yeah, you know, then it, you know, then it's not good, but it's, you know, that, but that's where networking comes in and building relationships and, and the relationships that you're trying to build are they're genuine, right? I mean, you're just, you're trying to help people. And I, and I tell people that you need to build relations. You need to help people beyond what you sell. So you're out there in the community, out there in this, you know, amongst even your target market, trying to figure out, you know, okay, what are things that you need beyond what I sell? You know, what, what other things can help you? And let me try and let me try and help you with those things. And that's how you put somebody, uh, you put yourself on people's radars. You know, they're going to, oh, that guy really helped me. Yeah. And sometimes it's about telling somebody about, you know, just helping them. If the, There are a couple of things that I learned early in my career in advertising. One is that if you don't have the product that the, the client needs, be a resource and direct right. them to the right place, even if yeah. it's a competitor. Because if you don't have it, the fact that they're a competitor doesn't matter. But right. they're, but the client will remember you for helping them, especially when you got nothing out of it. Yep. And the other guy got the job. And the other guy will remember it because he'll think of you as you are gracious and not selfish and not and not petty. So, you know, that's a win-win. The other thing I learned was I I worked for a client that had two of the the biggest advertisers in the United States as as core clients and was very anxious about getting new clients and was would like put pressure on me. I I handled sales and PR for the West Coast for this company and was like get new you know, get new clients. I go, yeah, but we have we have A and B. I mean, we're doing like you know Super Bowl commercials, and we're doing all. This. He goes, you think that's gonna last forever? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I got it. I was like, oh yeah. As perfect as everything is, and as much energy it goes into retaining those clients, if you're lucky, your business life is long, and it's yeah. going to involve change, and you can't think of change as an enemy you have to think of it as an inevitability and just prepare for it yeah and hustle go out and hustle well in my, in my mind that would be scary i you know for yeah. me working as a, a young attorney the scariest moments for me were, were when i would close on a project right i'd have a project to do for a client because yeah. then it's like oh god now what you know because this is going to end and i'm going to be busy with this and i don't have time to market now because i'm busy right. with this but I know this is going to end and I'm going to send them a bill and they're going to pay me and I'm going to be starting all over again. And so it's, you know, I always liked having a, having a pipeline of just little things that not little things, but just kind of, you know, kind of kept you busy. Yeah. Very diverse. Well, 
Yes, I, I I like that too. I get I get excited when, the, yeah, I think I think this may be what you're saying as well. I get I get very excited by small projects, right? Because yeah. it's comfortable to take on something finite, let's call it, and and yet the the pleasure and the satisfaction and the confidence it instills is immense. You're like, oh, this is great. I have you know. For the next three hours, I have I have my marching orders. That's great. Right. And then when the big thing closes, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I gotta now I gotta do it. And you know, hopefully I feel good about it. I did learn long ago not to not to take on those ones that the money's attractive, but you have a bad feeling about. Yeah. Have you had those experiences where things look like they could be tremendously uh lucrative, but just weren't right you know in private practice i never did i i had a, a great mix of clients that were you know decent sized projects but nothing immense but i remember in my tax consulting days the firm taking on super large projects you know clients like this is going to be a game changer for the firm and then realizing, and it didn't impact me directly because I wasn't assigned to it, but I could see other people. It's like, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of a thing. Yes. Okay. Now you've got it. Now they're going to beat you up at every turn on the bill. Whereas the, you know, the, the small people struggle to pay the big people, they want the best possible price because well, we're oh, big, yes. right. And it was the middle ones that were the best because you weren't necessarily always getting the great rates, but they appreciated it and they never balked at paying the bill. And as long as it was reasonable, you know? Right. I'm saying it's going to be this. Look, it's this. Okay, let me go in the next room and bring you a check. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm not chasing things. You know, some of those big, you know, the bigger clients, it's like, well, we, you know, we have 90 day terms. It's like, well, geez, our line of credit's 30 days. You know I mean? It's just yeah. the, the numbers didn't add up. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And then there are, then there are the, there are those who will keep trying to get the, the, the cost down to the point where if they're that worried about that little amount of money, they're probably, mm -hmm. their expectations are probably exponentially higher Yes, because they're so worried about a, a certain amount of money that they're like, well, I better get A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. If I'm spending a hundred dollars, I better get, you know, I better get all the bells and whistles. And it just doesn't, it doesn't work out with, it's not the real world. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a power dynamic. It's a power dynamic is really what it boils down to. And I don't know. Yeah. Who has time? Who has time for, uh, who has time to feel bad about themselves? Uh, you know, the 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 80s were a long time ago yeah <laughs> the the cutthroat kind of me thing you know this i'm better than you and i'm just, you know all this all the bullshit and the blowhards and all that stuff yep i i am finding that coming out of the pandemic two things a lot of trauma and a lot of ptsd and a lot of fear and uncertainty, but on the other side, a lot of willingness to connect, a lot of warmth that maybe people kept a little bit in reserve before. Maybe they were a little more protective of their of themselves, of their heart, of what they have to give before. 
And it was enough to just be a business person, you know? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think the one thing I noticed during the pandemic was well, kind of like, you know, when years ago or three years ago when you went to networking events, the question was the the go the the go to question was how's the weather right because you're in the yeah. same locale everybody's experiencing the same weather during the pandemic you'd have a conver I'd have conversations with people over in India how's it going how's the pandemic you know mm -hmm. it was this worldwide moment where we all shared the same thing you know yeah. even even World War II there were parts of the world that you know yeah it doesn't not really affecting us you know yeah so, sucks to be you <laughs> but but the pandemic was that that first time where it was like yeah this this is really this is really hitting everybody and so i think we have really we've really realized this this common bond this humanity that we all have and realizing that geez we all you know we all have families or some of us have kids you know we all have loved ones in our lives and and we're concerned about these things and we're concerned about the next day, maybe not so much the next meal. It never really got yeah. that bad, but you know, what's happening, what's going to happen and nobody knew. And so there, you know, there, it, there was a degree of, of empathy, which, you know, interestingly enough, the, obviously the, maybe not obviously, but the, the media didn't really, they, let's, let's pour gasoline on this thing. You know, it's just right. It was just every turn. Yeah. Players in the media feel that it's their job to, to create fires and, and pour gasoline on fires and, and reap the benefit of everybody coming to see it and yeah. reap the benefit of polarization and it's between people. Then that's how they're going to proceed. It is harder and harder to determine what's real and what's truthful yes you know truth has become a variable which is a which upsets the balance of of the universe really yeah that there isn't such a thing as a universal truth even though there is we don't control we don't control fact we don't control the difference between fact and fiction but we can fail to acknowledge it yeah and that happens quite a bit and i think maybe People are warmer and more open for that reason, because it's like, you know what? I can't, I really can't control whether masks work or not. I really can't control whether a vaccine is good or not. I can't control whether, whether or not they're needed or this is needed or not, but I can control whether I open my heart a little bit or not. Yeah. I can control whether I'm nice to this person or whether I'm willing to have a conversation with people who have views that differ from mine. I yeah. can control that. It may not be a, a happy conversation. I may be sitting there listening to someone rant and rave, but I can control whether I rant and rave. I, well, I think we need each other more. I mean, it's, you know, oh, I'm, sure. and I'm not, I'm not bashing on the media. I mean, I think part of the oh. problem is the, the media has some of the media, mainstream media has the, they're in the eyeball business, right? They're not in the information business. They're mm -hmm. not in, hey, listen, these are the facts. Walter Contrite, that's the way it was, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know? And so we kind of need one another. I I really think, I mean, this is self-serving because we're both podcasters. I think podcasting is is going to be our salvation because it allows us 
to gather information to get to, to really understand what's going on. You know, the two minute yeah. or 30 second soundbite of, hey, this is what's happening. You can't really, the, the world's too complicated. Yeah. But in a podcast, and there are people out there that are, who've left media because for the re very reasons we're talking about and have shows where they're, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minute, 90 minute shows where they're really going to unpack things. It's like, oh my God, I didn't, I never realized that. I, I, I went to law school. I had a whole class on constitutional law. We talked about Roe v. Wade, right? Right. And I, you know, I'm not trying to make a political commentary, but I listened to a podcast where the commentator was pro-choice. He's totally in favor of pro-choice, but he was very anti Roe v. Wade because, and he was, he was a law professor. He said, the Supreme court overstepped its bounds. The Supreme court doesn't make law. It just judges the law that's already there. And with Roe v. Wade, it made the law. There were 49 states that had anti-abortion laws on the books. And it basically said to all those states, without looking at the laws, they're all unconstitutional. This is what it should be. And I'd never heard that argument before, even in law school. And it was just, to me, it was fascinating. And again, you know, the issue aside, you know, we don't need to get into that, but- right that's where a podcast can really unpack that for you. Whereas in the news, it's not, you're just going to see people on the left and right, you know, throwing, throwing things at one another. Well, because simply it's not discussion. A discussion isn't a debate is this is my opinion. That's your opinion, right? That's a debate. A discussion is, Hey, I saw this thing where, I, you know, I, uh, the the idea that possibly the the Supreme Court overstepped its bounds by deciding Roe v. Wade. What do you think of that? You know, and then another constitutional lawyer could or scholar could have their opinion, and then right. say, "Ooh, I never thought, I never heard that before." Okay, well, what about that? And it isn't a vested interest in a certain opinion. It's a discussion about what the opinion might be. If the if the idea is just to get on the air because you have a, an ego for, for hearing your own voice and you just want to put your, put your, put your opinion out there as, as then that that's what I would call pot, a podcastering. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're, you're really just posture. You're really just podcastering. You just want, you want people to hear your outrageous thing or your extreme thing or your polar thing. And yeah. you don't really care about hearing anybody else say any why is the other opinion offensive to us why how i wonder how that's i know that to some degree it's been fomented like to get angry yeah get angry about other opinions but I, it, it, and i remember in in 2016 being very fired up and being angry and kind of get, getting ranting you know you go through this period where i would post stuff on Facebook and I couldn't help it. I knew it wasn't going to do anything. I knew that I wasn't right. saying anything new, but I was, I was podcastering, not in a podcast, but I was like putting a thing out as though I had some knowledge or authority and I didn't, but I also didn't learn anything. Right. Cause well, nobody we don't, wanted, well, nobody yeah, we wanted don't, to fight. We don't solve anything, right? We don't, 
You know, I think Barack Obama said at one point that much of the disagreement in the House and the Senate, well, between the left and the right, is really a battle between the 40s, to use a football metaphor, right? I mean, it's the, these, par these parties aren't so far apart. I, I'll throw another one out there, gun control, right? I, I tell people everybody is for gun control. And like, oh, no, no, no. Yes, they are. You know, who's in favor here of kindergartners bringing Uzis to school? Well, that's silly. Well, that's gun control, right? It's just a question right. of where the line is. That's what we're arguing about, where the line is. Well, there and may be some who would seriously consider arming kindergarten children, but sure. they would be in the minority. Like right. they, would, they would be in the minority. Now, it's all that grade up from arming school children to arming teachers to arming to to militarizing the entire society right you know the, the extremes are where we have the biggest that's the, the biggest problem problem right and the, and those are the ones who get airtime on the news but the rest of us are you know the 95% of us are probably right in that middle maybe not 95 but 90% in the middle of you know what i think we can solve this and I, right. you know, we're not trying to solve it today, but I think if you get educated minds sitting down and saying, you know, if we did this and did this and did this, that would help solve this. And it would, we would still have a second amendment, right? The, right. the spirit of the second amendment would still be there, you know? Well, we, if, 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 if the, and again, you know, this show isn't, I don't think we get like political yet on this show, but. We certainly don't bar opinions. So anybody's opinion is welcome because the only way to get to the truth or to live with it is to open right. your mind to it. But I was going to say that if the powers that be focused as much on educating the public as arming them, people would be able to have that discourse more yeah. readily. But, but there are parties that have a vested interest in the undereducation of the public, and that's what helps keep them in power and so it's not in their interest for people to be able to have intelligent conversations yeah no i and, i agree i agree you know but i don't want to podcast your i don't want to be podcast your. I, I only thought of that as we were talking i don't know that that that's that phrase is going to catch on but <laughs> if it does it was here you heard if it, here. it if it does it was here it was definitely right. here yep but so take me through take me through it a, a typical day uh, I haven't done this with a guest yet, but I, but in this case, I, I think it's interesting because we're talking a lot about trying to get business, trying to connect people, trying to do, what is a typical day like for you these days? Yeah. You know, most mornings I'm off at one of our chapter meetings. There's a number of chapters I'm responsible for or helping franchisees. A lot of, there's a lot of nuts and bolts to any business. Every business has Every business has the necessary evil of sending out invoices and, you know, paying the bills and, you know, getting those things done, just making sure those things are in motion. You know, somebody's doing them. The people are handling, handling the money or the administrative people. And there's always questions. I spend a lot of time talking on the phone to people, get, getting acquainted with people. And 90% of that is not about... Um, not about selling anybody, but really kind of learning what people are about, wanting to know what people mm -hmm. are about. And I, I'm open to hearing what people have to say and what they have to sell, not 
subjecting myself to their pitch, but just let me know what you're about so I can understand it because it might not be for me, but it might be for the next person I talk to. And that happens, maybe not the next person, but that happens often. I'll talk to somebody and say, you know what? I talked to somebody yesterday. I don't even think they know you exist. And I think you would be a perfect person for them. And, you know, again, it gets back to what I said before is if you help enough people, and just trust in karma, it'll come back to you. Yeah. And when, whenever you're helping, whenever you're connecting two people, you know, hey, you've got a roller skate, they've got a key kind of a, a thing. They're both happy with you and both are thinking, okay, how can right. I re return the favor? How can I? Re now, to interrupt you for a second, that's great advice for connectors, for the people who are trying to connect with other people. What is, what is a, a tip that you can give people who are trying to expand their networks? What's like the first piece of advice you could give? Well, I often get the question, what's the one thing I can do to really jumpstart my network? And my, my consistent answer is... That was my question, but that was more eloquently okay. stated. That's okay. what I meant to say. Okay. Well, the, my answer to your question then is I tell people, figure out what you're passionate about and go find somewhere to volunteer. Um, mm -hmm. It might be might be pet charities. It might be homelessness. It might be youth sports. It might you know there the world is full of need. There's there are people out there that need help. There's organizations. There's schools. There's civic in, in, initiatives. You know it, you know it runs the gamut. Your community association or your homeowners association. Go and volunteer. Go put time into that. And what happens is. You never do those things alone. You're always with other people. You're rubbing elbows with people who care about the same things you care about. Right. And it's, you don't really ever have to talk about what you're about or what you're doing. They'll figure that out. They'll, they'll, you know, with LinkedIn, they can go in and, you know, I'll go volunteer yeah, they somewhere. They'll, for themselves. Yeah, they'll know. They know. And so that's a great way to create a network. But the other thing that happens when you do those things, so you're, you know, let's say you're involved in the pet charity and, you know, you might not care about that, but you see that they care about it and you see how they're invested and they're making the world a better place. And you just think that they're a better person for that. And, and you can't help but know them, like them and trust them as a result of that. So that's always the, you know, the kind of the first step with respect to trying to get out there and get networked. But people who like get on LinkedIn and want to want to connect with people, my advice to those people is just ask to get acquainted. I'll have people reach out to me. You get the same thing probably. Hey, would love to get to know you. Oh, by the way, here's three or four paragraphs on what I do and how, you know, I might be able to help you. And it's like, okay, I'm getting set up for a sales pitch. Here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm getting set up for, you know, if, and I'm just leery of that. But the person said, I would just genuinely like to get to know you, you know, and maybe there's a way we can support one another. Let's just see. Okay, great. As far as what you do with the, with the accounting background and the law background, those are not the things that they're not the reason why you're a good communicator and a good networker and a good connector. Why do you think it is? I really enjoy helping people. And I know that's, I know that sounds cliche, but I take great satisfaction out of, you know, you know, putting people together where it just, it makes sense. I've had, I had two calls in the last two days 
two IT people, both with both with apps they've developed, not competing, but kind of on parallel tracks. And it's like, yeah, you two should talk. You're probably running in the same circles, trying to connect with the same people. You know, it's, it's that peanut butter and chocolate moment. You know, there's something here and I can't tell you what it is. I can't tell you you need to combine forces, but if you don't know of each other, now you do. And if nothing comes from this and I'm totally wrong, it was a complete waste, complete waste of time. So I told him, I'm sorry, but if there's something here, then, then this, you know, isn't it worth a 30 minute phone yeah. call to explore? You this? owe it to yourself. Right. To it. Right. What you did point out was that you reminded me how desperately I really love chocolate and peanut butter because <laughs> that's my daughter's new, my daughter's new like camp lunch that she likes is a bagel with one side that has chocolate spread and one side that has peanut butter on it. Oh. And I'm of a, of an age now where I don't, I can't just go indulge in that and make myself a peanut butter and chocolate spread sandwich. But, but that's what I, that's what, that's what's going on in that other level in the back of my head now. Yeah. Well, that's like a, yeah, that's where if you go see the doctor and he says you have six months to live, you just live on that for six months, right? That's right. <laughs> what do I care? Peanut you know? butter and chocolate. That's what that's, that's all yeah. it is from yeah. that point on. But yeah. then, you know, and being human beings, what's interesting about us is that about three months in, we'd be like, three months of chocolate and peanut butter, we'd be like, oh my God, I got another three months of this shit. Yeah, I right. Can't believe, <laughs> yeah, I can't right. believe it. I'm sick I can't of this. Believe it. The, my, there's a great joke. You probably know who Henny Youngman was, but a, a lot of other people, you know, like kids wouldn't know who Henny Youngman was, but he was a, he was a famous comedian, and uh, one of his jokes was, although he, he, they use this joke in Goodfellas, he's he is in Goodfellas. There's a thing in Goodfellas where he's telling the joke, but he says, a, guy, "A doctor gave a guy six months to live, couldn't pay his bill. Doctor gave him another six months." <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's yeah, we would we would we would indulge all we can in in peanut butter and chocolate, yeah. In terms of in terms of having six months to live. I don't know if you, well, okay. I can't, I can't even go there. I was going to talk about a show that I love, but of course that would be a spoiler. So I can't even go there now. I have to be very careful on this show. I have so many people that, that are listening in the hundreds of millions of people that are listening in that, that, that I can't, I can't, I have to be very careful and I don't allow my bots to give away spoilers to television okay. shows either i was gonna so we're gonna have to i'll either cut out this whole section or we'll leave all these things in because they're so relatable i think i think what that leads me to is fallibility and the value in not being perfect we're so careful about what we say where do you shake out on that when because you're you're an expert in 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 connecting people and saying the right thing and yeah. yeah that that is so timely because i had this conversation last friday a friend connected me to somebody and wanted me to talk to this 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 he's a young man new into business um and he let it slip in the conversation what were his words i'm still working to get my first client is what he said and i let him finish what he was talking about and i came back to him so 
what you're telling me is you don't have any clients. And he said, no, I don't. And I think he was, he felt bad that he had said that. And I told him, I said, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I don't want you to feel like you ever have to say that again, because nobody wants to be your first client. Nobody's, Mm -hmm. you know, right. You know, it's back to nobody's going to buy because you have a car payment, right? Nobody wants to be that first person. But what I found was I was empathetic towards him. Mm -hmm. Way more empathy. And some people, I was telling my wife this, I said, some people would probably listen to that and say, well, why are you wasting my time? You have no clients, you know, get up, you know, you're wasting my time. And for me, it was just the opposite. It was a coachable moment where I could tell this, this young guy, Listen, don't, don't be so brutally honest, right? Because, yeah, you know, you have experience, you may not have any clients, but it's akin to the guy who worked for the plumbing company for years, been saving money. Now his own has his own truck and equipment. He's out on his own. He might not have any clients, but boy, he knows how to unclog a toilet. My advice to him or to someone who did that had that experience with would be, you know, Tell what I what I call having been in PR an exponential <clears throat> an exponential truth or an aspirational truth. It's not that what you're saying isn't true. It's that what you're saying sounds more impressive than the truth the way you told it. So yeah. where he said, "I'm just trying to get my first client," you could say, "I'm just trying to get my first ten clients." Now, right. that's true. Yes. He's trying to get 10 clients as much as he's trying to get one, but it doesn't sound quite so sad. Yes. You know? Yeah. But there's always, but, but you admired his, his humility and genuineness, but you're helping him get past that is so valuable. And I, I, I expect he'll remember that kindness as well. I hope so. I mean, not necessarily me, but because I, I mean, who gives a shit? He doesn't have any clients. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but you know, you want him to pay it forward, right? I mean, yeah, no, that's, of course. that's what you want. You know, you want, we need to be genuine. And, and I think back to the story my dad told years ago, he was a young teacher. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was a young teacher and uh, ordered carpet and the carpet that he and my mom ordered wasn't the carpet that showed up. Oh. Right. Bait switch or whatever. It's like, uh-huh. no, wait a minute. You know, we ordered this and we got this and it's not the same carpet. And well, we're sorry. This is what you got. And damn it, you're just a teacher and we're going to stick it to you. Right. And <clears throat> somehow the president of the school board caught wind of this. And the president of the school board was an attorney and the president of the school board wrote a letter. My dad never hired him. He just did this. I've got a young teacher, right? Coach in our school system. I'm going to take this thing on. And lo and behold, the company came and brought the right carpet, right? And that, and right. my dad's like, we never got a bill, you know, never had a conversation about it. And that has always stuck with me as, you know what? Wow. I would love for somebody to be telling a story about me like that someday. Not my name necessarily attached to it, but that, hey, I've done something that was memorable. And uh, you know, I think, you know, you talk about aspirational. I think that's something we all ought to aspire to is just doing a good turn and just letting it ripple through time. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.